If you were offered the chance of a lifetime, would you take it? Hello and welcome to Engage, and in this episode I've got a very special guest, none other than Chicken Guy Phil. <laughs> I can't believe that uh, I've got him on the show today, I'm really excited to, to, to chat to him. So first of all, before we get into everything, I just want to say a, a big welcome, Phil Tommaso, welcome to Engage. Thank you so much for having me, David. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely my pleasure. Now, if uh, you're unfamiliar with who Chicken Guy Phil is, he was the undoubted star of Guy Fieri's Chance of a Lifetime show, which recently broadcast on the Food Network. Now, I didn't actually get to see the show the first time round because it was broadcast in the US. We still haven't had it broadcast in the UK yet, but through the magic of the internet, I was able to catch up with the show, and uh, I think that's going to make for a much better episode now, because I, I know what the show was all about, I know a lot more about uh, Chicken Guy Phil uh, today, and um, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, to asking him um, all about his experiences of what being on a reality TV show is all about. We all want to know what kind of goes on in between the edits, so hopefully uh, Phil is going to share some uh, some of that juicy info uh, with us today. Does that sound okay for you? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm all about juicy. <laughs> well, that, that's a good place to start if, uh, if you're involved with chicken, right? Fried chicken. The yeah, juicier, the better. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so... Before we kind of get into the the whole reality TV thing, I just want to get a bit of uh, a bit of background about you because I know that when you're not on TV, you own or co-own a bakery, something delicious, um, with your wife. Uh, you're also a parent. You're a foster parent, and you also hold down a demanding role as a police dispatcher, as well. So I'm amazed, to be honest, that you've found the time to come and chat uh, with me uh, on Engage today. So uh, again, I'm, I'm really grateful that, uh, that you agreed um, to do that today. Just to, to get a bit of background about you really, now I know that you're from Rochester. Now my geography or US geography isn't that great. I mean, my only experience of, of New York is uh, when I visited um, New York City back in 2008. You might see the, the boxing uh, poster uh, on the wall there where we watched Joe Calzaghe versus uh, Roy Jones Jr. So that seems like a lifetime ago now, way back in, uh, way back in 2008. But um, could you tell us a, a bit about um, what growing up in, in Rochester was like? Yeah, of course. So for geography sense, I guess it's a, it's very upstate New York. Um, we're up by Lake Ontario, which is right on the border of Canada there. So we're, uh, pr we're practically Canadians, but a little less friendly. Um, so growing up in Rochester, uh, it was great. You know, all my family's here, so we really stayed local. I mean, everybody's here, uh, there's lots of good food in Rochester, lots of great restaurants, fun stuff like that. Uh, it's a, it's like a fun, mid-sized city, I guess. It's not too large, not too small. A uh, lot going on, though. Okay, did you do a lot of cooking growing up as well? I suppose it seems like a, a bit of an obvious question, but uh, it'd just be interesting to get your insight into that. 
Yeah, so my brother and sister and I, we grew up watching the Food Network. Um, like, that was that was what was on all day long at our house. Um, used to cook with my mom. She was a really great, she is a great cook. I uh, learned from my grandparents. Um, cooking was always a big thing. You know, we'd always have Sunday sauce with the family and stuff like that. So my, my roots are very Italian-based uh, cuisine. Then in high school, I had... So I was going to drop out of traditional school. Uh, it was it was not going very well, and you know I was always on the cusp of failing, until I was recommended that I go to a kind of like a uh, like a trade school. So I picked culinary as the trade, and for the last two years of my high school career, I was allowed to go to learn culinary. So I learned culinary. I graduated, I think second in my class there and really loved it and then after high school i stopped completely <laughs> so my my cooking experience was done uh professionally until i ended up buying a pizza place uh like four years ago and then the bakery now so i, I got back into it after leaving it for about a decade so yeah it sounds like cooking was really ingrained uh, in into you from um a family perspective um, I mean, family was like a, a huge recurring theme uh, throughout the episodes of the show as well. And it sounds like it was, you know, a really kind of warm and a nurturing in, environment. But I mean, just to, to skip on ahead slightly, in the very first episode of the show, when uh, you, you were doing uh, the introductions, when we were kind of getting a, a first uh, glimpse of all of the contestants, you said that when you were young, you were always told that you were a loser. So when I heard that, that kind of really impacted me. And I thought, you know, I, I want to know who said that to you. So w would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah. Um, so as horrible as this sounds, and I don't know if it's the same way in the UK, but in the States we have a school counselor who kind of preps you to get ready for college while you're in high school. Um, it's actually my school counselor who said, you know, hey, don't even worry about going on to, you know, further education. You're not going to be able to do it. Um, I mean, it was just, it was shocking to hear. I had teachers all throughout high school who just didn't believe I had the, I don't know, they just didn't believe I had it in me to go on and, and do things. And it, you know, it hurt. It hurt hearing all that, and I so I did. I, I went to college right out of high school, and just a, a local community college, nothing crazy, because I didn't have the grades for it. And I, I went there, and I failed out after one year. So I was like, no, they were right. You know, I had a dead-end job at the time, nothing really going for me. Um, However, then I went back on my own uh, about a year and a half, two years after failing out. I was like, I'm going to give this another try. And I ended up uh, graduating on the high dean's list, all these, like, you know, like, I ended up graduating with, uh, so normally it's out of 4.0 GPA at uh, universities here. So I ended up graduating with a 3.85 or something like that. So... I went back on my own and proved to myself that, you know, hey, I, I could do whatever I want to do. 
as a father myself as well, I I understand the importance of positive reinforcement because I think that the the way that things are at the moment, it's really easy to kind of fall into a a negative mindset, uh, and I think that it's it's important for for me as as a as a father, as you know, as a as a person in that position of of authority, really, that that you should be given as much positive reinforcement as you possibly can. Now, would you say that those experiences that you had when you were younger then maybe influenced your decision to become a foster parent, to perhaps be that positive role model? The, the reason, uh, this is totally separate, but I'll, I'll give you the reason anyway. Um, the reason we became foster parents actually, because we had been struggling with infertility for three years and for my wife and I, Stephanie and I, we decided, you know, if we can't have a child of our own to love and to take care of, that, you know, the next best thing or even the best thing would be to help kids who have nothing and kids that are in rough situations. So in a way, yes. I mean, I, I want to be able to give um, my foster son everything. You know, I want him to, you know, be the happiest uh be able to have hold his head up high knowing that you know he could do anything so yes it in a roundabout way yeah you know that that definitely is a huge impact on why you know fostering i feel is just such a strong thing for me yeah and in that introduction in the show as well uh, it also said that that despite you being told that you're never really going to amount to anything when you were younger then that drove you to succeed would you say that you always had that sort of entrepreneurial mindset even if perhaps uh, at the beginning you you weren't that great academically 100 percent, yeah uh, even from a young age i mean you know i did the basics that every kid does right a lemonade stand uh but then i took it further <laughs> this this is a horrible one i don't think i've ever talked about this on any podcast or anything so I started my own lottery in grade school and elementary school. And uh, so I, I had a couple of dollars, right? And I started making lotto tickets. And I would offer them to other kids. And they, there was winners in there. There was losers. And, and I probably made a good, you know, 50, 60 bucks in third or fourth grade at, you know, age eight, selling these lottery tickets to people. Horrible, horrible thing. But yeah, that was one. Um, you know, I'd resell baseball cards, Pokemon cards, anything that was popular. Um, that was always huge for me. Like I was, I was always doing something and, uh, always would get in trouble for it in school. So it was always like discouraged as a, as a child to, you know, get out there and go do something on your own. Granted, one of them was completely illegal, but you know, other than that, um, I don't know, like it's, it's, uh, it's something that's not taught in schools. So it's really something that personally you have to be willing to learn or willing to have that drive to get out there and go do something on your own yeah i think you're absolutely right there it's just having that mindset to just try to make something happen 
regardless of what it is and perhaps not looking at the, the, the legality of it and and if you're only eight years old then you're not going to know whether whether it's yeah. it's illegal or not anyway so i, th I think you could uh, you could get a, a free pass on that but um right. putting your yeah. perhaps more dubious business activities behind you uh, you said that you bought um the bakery with uh, with your wife and you did that a month before all of the lockdowns hit it in 2020 so yes. before we kind of talk a bit about what what that experience was like during the lockdown how did the opportunity to to get involved with the bakery come up yeah so my my wife had been baking out of the house for a while got to the point where she's like you know hey you know i, I want to take on more orders i can't though so i'm like you know let's buy a bakery i had a lot of money saved up from a job i had been working on so I was like, yeah, let's start looking. You know, there's there's always something for sale somewhere. Somebody wants to get out. Somebody wants to, you know, move, do something else. So we started looking. And while we're looking for the bakery, I found this pizza place that I really liked. So we bought the pizza place, which was in front. So there was like this plaza that's like an L shape. And in the front of it, there was a bakery that we were looking at. In the back, there was this pizza place that I really loved. So we're talking to the baker, uh, the owner of the bakery. And he kind of wants an outrageous amount of money for it. And we're like, all right, you know, like it's, it's a solid business. It's been there for years. And, um, that whole deal falls through completely. Uh, just stuff was misrepresented. There was a lot of, it was a mess, total mess. And the pizza place I was only at for like seven or eight months and then, uh, sold out to my partners cause we had found uh, the bakery that we currently own something delicious bake shop. So it was just kind of like this weird web of failure, success, failure. And then it, you know, it just kind of all landed where it was supposed to be. So when you, you got uh, the something delicious bakery that, that you're currently in now, did you think that everything was, was going to be going to be fine from, from here on here on in? Yeah, we were we were so psyched. We were like, "Oh, this is awesome! This is exactly what we wanted. It's it's you know more up our alley than the one we were looking at." Oh yeah, we were so excited, and uh, and then everything shut down. So, nice surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so prior to the lockdown, though, um, how, how was how was the business doing? You know, before everything got closed. So, um, so we we had bought it in February first that was our closing date of 2020 and i believe it was february 20th when everything closed so we had a you know a solid two weeks of like that was it so and then at, once everything closed um people you know you know how people were people were terrified to leave their house people didn't want to you know make the trip anywhere everybody was just staying home so we're like oh my god we're in trouble um, luckily everybody's at home, they're on Facebook, they're scrolling. I kick up marketing cause that's, I love social media, online marketing. Like that's a huge thing for me. Uh, so I get on there and we're posting all these cool pictures. We're coming up with a different cupcake every week and we take a business that essentially was done, you know, the 80% of it was wedding cakes, birthday cakes stuff for gatherings and nobody's having gatherings. So we had to turn the business around to where our storefront now is making 80% of the, the bulk. And, you know, people are still coming and getting individual, you know, family size cakes. So it took 
about a month, and after really pushing, we grew our Facebook uh, presence from, I believe it was 4,000 followers to, we got up to about 12,000 followers in about five months. And after that, like people were sharing our stuff all over the place. We had a couple things go viral. I mean, we were just posting fun stuff and it really turned out well for us. We ended up having a great year, so. Yeah, it said on the show that you ended up doing 100% more business than the previous owner. And you did that during a lockdown. So do you think that if the lockdown didn't happen, do you think you would have done as well? Or do you think that made you think a bit more out of the box and, and push things a lot harder? I think the lockdown did us a huge favor. As horrible as that sounds, and I know it ruined people's lives, but... For us, we we made out okay. Yeah. Okay. So if we, we move on then to, to to the show. First of all, how did you find out about it? The previous owner that we had purchased it from had been on two or three other baking shows at the time on Food Network. Um, just kind of like one-off series and stuff like that. Um, so we kept getting these casting calls for about a year, and I'd keep showing them to my wife Stephanie. I'm like, "Hey, like, get on there. Like, you're, you know, you're talented. You could go be on a baking show, no problem." She's like, "No, I'm too shy. I'm too shy." I'm like, "All right, fine." So they keep coming, and I look at them every single time, and it, they probably send it at least once or twice a week. So finally, this one comes up for a food entrepreneur show. There's no name attached to it of whose show it is. There's nothing really. It's just like, we're looking for food entrepreneurs. We want people in the food space. You don't have to be a cook. You don't have to be a baker. I'm like, sign me up. So I I fill out all the information. I make a one-minute video, and I send it in, and I hear nothing for, like, a while. <laughs> I'm like, well, I tried, you know. And uh, next thing you know, I get this big, long text message, like, three, four paragraphs long, and I'm, I'm just reading it. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, they're, they're saying, hey, your mailbox is full. We've been trying to reach you for two weeks, all this stuff, and, and I don't check my, my mailbox ever. I, I should, but I don't. Um, but, yeah, so I'm, I'm, like, reading this out loud, and my wife's like, well, I mean, give them a call back. I'm like, all right, so I call them back. And uh, they're like, yo, we've been trying to reach you for weeks. Like, we really want to do an interview with you. So I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, we set up an interview, but because of my work schedule, like it wasn't going to work. So they had me interview with somebody in California so I could do it at 1 o'clock in the morning after I got out of work uh, at midnight. And uh, that's how we would interview. So every, every week at 1 o'clock in the morning, we'd do interviews and eventually... Um, I got picked, so <laughs> it worked out good. So, uh, how many rounds of interviews were there then, out, out of interest? Do you remember? Yeah, there there must have been at least five or six, I want to say, and all of them were hour, hour and a half long. So, I mean, I, I, we were burning the midnight oil at that point. I mean, it was, it was getting late. Yeah, that's that sounds like a a long old process. All, all sort of interest then. When you purchased the bakery, did you realize at the time that the, the owner had had been on TV, um, involved in several different shows? So my wife had actually been following that bakery 
for a long time just because you know like uh, i'm sure you follow other podcasters and stuff like that same same idea like you kind of just see what they're up to and you know encourage them and stuff so yeah we had we had seen that she had been on shows previously and that she had accepted a job at a local university as their head pastry chef so it was just kind of that had no bearing though on us wanting that business it just kind of was like a cool perk after all of those audition processes, then you you made the final six, and and you actually beat approximately fifty thousand other applicants or auditionees to to go on the show. So that that must have come as a shock then when you got that final call and they said, "Yeah, we we want you to to appear." Yes, uh, that was a huge shock because. Um... So, like, I didn't mention this part. At the end, it was the week before we were supposed to, they were like, oh, hey, you know, if you get on, you got to leave this date. I'm like, okay, no problem. And we were, like, three, four days out from that date, and I still didn't know I was on the show. So I get a call the same day, actually, I find out that my wife is pregnant. And they're like, hey, fly out this date. We'll set it up for you you're you're on i'm like wow okay all right sounds good so i mean it was like a very last second like literally hours before you know i had to leave so it was pretty crazy <laughs> yeah how how did your wife feel about that then when you you told her that that she she just revealed that she was pregnant and you were going to have to jet off to take part in the show uh she was not happy about it yeah <laughs> um i i still get stuff for that today um but yeah, she she was not happy about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay, so you're on the show, the fir the very first episode, and it, it's like um, a, a lot of these shows. I I kind of compared the show to a cross between The Apprentice and Master Chef. In the very first episode, you're all in this boardroom, all sat around the table, and you've got the judges in front of you. And then in walks Guy Fieri to uh, a reaction of, of shock uh, and awe, as, as you can imagine. W was that the first time that you'd met him in person, or had you met him prior to being on the show? Or prior to the show starting, rather? That was a real first time meeting with him, yeah. It was so cool. I mean, it was just, like, that's somebody I've watched from, I don't know if you guys had it, but Next Food Network star was the show that he got famous from. And uh, that's something that my brothers and si my brother and sister, we used to watch that show and saw him win that first season. So, I mean, we've followed his career all the way through, which is, so it was just a, a really awesome moment, yeah. What was he, he like then as, as, a, as a person? Was he... You know, was he as as you hoped that he would be? Yes, he is a larger than life personality. Like that's what you see is what you get. Like he is just a he's a goofball. He's very business minded. He's very serious. Like when it's needed, but when it's when it's not, he's cracking jokes and he's walking up. He's elbowing you on the side, going like laughing at something you said or did or whatever. I mean, he he's just a normal person that happens to be a multi-millionaire celebrity <laughs> you know i mean he's he's exactly what you'd expect uh, that's that's really good to hear then because uh, we we watch um the, the diners drive-ins and dives show that's showed pretty much 
constantly <laughs> on our version of, of Food Network here in the UK, and it, it's a program my partner and I we, we really enjoy watching that. So that's um, that, that's good to hear that that he is kind of you know the same off camera that that he is on, on camera as well. So that's uh, that, that's great. Um, how hands on was he uh, as well then in in the show? So we filmed over five weeks. It was a very, it was a long process, over a couple of months. And the whole time we're filming, he's filming two other shows at the same time. I mean, the man does not, I don't know when he sleeps. I don't know, you know, what he, when he eats even, I, don't, I have no idea. But uh, I guess he eats on the shows. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, um, he doesn't stop. So he was, he would be at our, ours for a couple of days when he was on the show. Then he'd be out in California. He'd be out all over the place. So I mean, he was in and out the whole time. So he he was there. We had we got to spend a lot of time with him, which was awesome, uh, especially knowing how busy he was. But uh, when it came to you know the decisions, everything like that, he was very involved in everything. So the very first episode, then you're in in the boardroom. You've got the other contestants in there, all jostling for position. Uh, you have uh, th there was Chase who who basically announced that he he'd had the show won before anybody had had barely sat down. Um, you had uh, Ebony there who was like this no nonsense ice queen, and she was very convinced that she was going to win. Um, you had Kevin who was this this huge ex military alpha male type of character who when he spoke, you know, you listen to what he's, he's saying. And um, there was you <laughs> as well. Um, you know, the, the other contestants, you know, they, they were very kind of sure and convinced that they were going to win and they were going to win at whatever cost. And when you were asked what you were doing on the show, I, I thought you gave quite a, a reserved and... Uh, even a more sort of British response in that you said that, and I'm, I'm going to like read it because I, I don't want to get it wrong. Um, you said that you were on the show to provide a lifelong quality for your family that, that they deserve, which I thought was a, a, a really great response. Um, you know, what, what was those early moments in the boardroom like then when you were surrounded by all of these, these larger than life characters, uh, as well as Guy Fieri as well. Yeah, so I'll start by saying this. By the end, all of us were a huge family. I mean, like, we were competing against each other, but, I mean, we still talk today, all of us. So it's um, lifelong friends for sure. Uh, but, yeah, in the boardroom and prior to the boardroom, I'll, I'll preface this a little. So I meet all the other candidates uh, except for Caton, who came in afterwards. Um, at like We just all happened to be down at the hotel lobby having dinner uh, the night prior to our first day filming. And they're like, oh, are you here for this? I'm like, yeah, I am. Are you? They're like, yeah. So we're, we're chatting. They're like, oh, what other shows were you on? I'm like, other sh uh You know, I was on the local news for like three minutes one day, kind of recent. And they're like, they're like, oh, cool. I came in third place on MasterChef. I'm like, like, wow, all right, well, so going into that boardroom, I knew a lot of them had been very successful culinarily and in life, and I'm like, 
why am I here? <laughs> like, it, it was a real, real thought in my head. I was like, oh my goodness, like, I am so out of my league right now. So sitting in that boardroom, and I get asked, you know, you know why, why are you here? <laughs> my honest answer would have been, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> no clue. Hopefully there's no, uh, nobody getting sent home today. <laughs> yeah, you, you do find, though, on, on these types of shows that they do have their fair share of, of what I would call professional contestants, you know, yeah. who've, who've been on other shows or who have some kind of professional in, involvement in, in the particular uh, area as well. What I thought was quite interesting as well in that that sort of scene was that the other contestants, some of them, they, they were kind of looking amongst themselves and, and they thought they had you beat. What sort of first impression do you think you were, you were giving them? Uh, so I already, I already know they were very open with me. <laughs> they were like, you know, they, they told me, they're like, like, I'm going to be honest. I, I, you're a nice person, but I don't get why you're here. And that was real. And it was not meant to sound cocky or meant to sound, uh, arrogant. It was just a, it was a very legitimate question. Yeah. So, I mean, towards the end of that episode, I think you were kind of being portrayed as that weak link of the group. Perhaps if there was somebody who was going to fin finish bottom or, or if they if they were going to do it from, from an elimination point of view, that you'd be the, the, the one that'd be like the first to go. <laughs> um, were you aware at that point of, of how you were, you know, maybe being portrayed or being set up to be portrayed uh, during those uh, early scenes? Yes, but I think it, I mean, I don't think they were portraying me that way. I think it was very fair. Like I went in there with very low level of confidence and it took, I mean, obviously you've seen the second episode. It, it took a lot of, you know, kind of just getting out of my, coming out of my shell. Another chicken joke. There we go. Cross that off. You were portrayed as, as perhaps like the, the, the weaker link in the first episode, but that didn't really last that long. I was quite surprised actually at how quickly that turned around. Um, see, on the the set, the second episode, uh, the other contestants were, were already starting to, to to talk about you as as being a threat to their own success, uh, and I think that sort of came about like during the, uh, the there was a quiz uh, which you did really well at, yeah. and you also excelled then when you were you were doing the uh, the taste tests on um, all of the sources. Absolutely amazing at how many sources there were. I think it was 22 different sources. Yeah, 22. So I think the burning question that I have is, what was your favorite out of all of those sources? Because I'm a big source fan myself as well. So that's really tough. Um, none of them were bad. None of them were... Like, I, I would eat all of them, but the, the tough thing is... The sauces, they have a sauce for every mood or every taste. So my favorite one is probably the classic special sauce that they have there. However, you know, if you're in a mood for, you know, like a classic Southern American or uh, they had, uh, there's just, there's so many different sauces. I mean, there was a curry mayo, there's, there's all these things that represent all different areas of the world which i think is awesome so i mean you you really could go in there in any craving and you could satisfy that craving so it, it's tough to pick one i suppose if you've got 22 to choose from then you don't necessarily have to just pick the one you know you can kind of you know take a few of them <laughs> they have this cool thing where um you can actually 
order all 22 sauces to try them all. So, I mean, the, you see people come out with these trays and it's just covered in just, there's all these different sauces in there, which is awesome. And I think it's, if you ever have the opportunity to go there, that it's totally worth it. <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be me. I'd, I'd definitely have, a, if it was like a, a tasting platter or something like that of, of all of the sauces, I, I'd, I'd be all over that. <laughs> Most definitely. Um, you, you kind of hinted just now as well that uh, you know you you cracked a a chicken joke right you know which is i i suppose the the, the prelude to, to chicken guy phil which you know i i, I want to talk about in in just a sec because that was undoubtedly the the highlight of the <laughs> the entire series as well but um i i'd heard on uh, another uh, interview that that you'd done that it was christian petroni one of the the judges um on the show who didn't really have much of a presence I don't think on the shows that actually went out but uh, during the the interview that I heard that it, it seems like he was really hands-on and uh, he was offering um, you know a, a lot of mentoring and, and all of that kind of thing so I was quite interested to know in in how that worked on a on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis during filming yeah so I am a strong believer in uh, hashtag release the Patroni cut which, which is the, the director's cut. I, I want it. I've been pushing the other directors to be like, hey, we got to release this. Um, they cut so much for time. Like I said, we were, we were filming for five weeks, and we were filming all day long. I mean, it was, we'd wake up at 5 o'clock. We'd be back home by, back at the hotel by like 10, 11. And, uh, I mean, it, it was no joke. We were, we were filming a lot. Uh, and then to fit it into six episodes, stuff had to be cut, obviously. And unfortunately, a lot of it was Christian Petroni. And he, I don't know why they did it, because his, his stuff, he's always so entertaining. He's probably one of my favorite celebrity chefs. Uh, he's just a funny, funny, funny guy. And there's this scene prior to our uh, presentations on the second episode where he was like, look, I know you're funny. You got to loosen up though you gotta loosen up so he made me walk out of the back of the chicken guy restaurant like six or seven times pretending to be a cowboy and uh shooting sauces out of like squirt bottles and just being a total nut and we did this so many times and it we're dying laughing the camera crew's laughing guy fietti's sitting in there with us he's dying laughing they tell him he's got to go because he's being too loud and he's ruining the shot so me and Christian just keep going and we're having such a good time and the whole thing gets cut. So it was, that was really the preparation for why I became, you know, why I went out there and put on like a spectacle versus, you know, giving a organized presentation. <laughs> yeah. I, I think your performance as, as chicken guy, Phil was, was very good. And I, I think you, you could tell that the, the judges, they, they, they were genuinely, excited by it and there was that sense of anticipation they, they didn't really know what was what was coming next uh, and i think that's what made it so good and, and so memorable did you think then that that even at i suppose this was still an early stage of the contest that that you had to do something like that to try to make yourself more more known uh, to the judges and get yourself more noticed yes yeah and so another thing they they really were surprised so i guess Throughout the process of uh, the, so we had actually met with Antonia, Chef Antonia first, then Christian, then Manit, 
and then went on to the presentations. So prior to that, um, I guess a lot of people had already told what they were going to do and already given their ideas and everything like that. And I have this really embarrassing interview with, uh, I'm so sorry, uh, Antonio LaFaso, where I didn't realize we were supposed to be telling them like, oh, hey, like this is my plans for this, this is that. And I, I didn't tell her anything. And she was getting, I think, very frustrated with me, like, this is what you're supposed to be doing right now. And I was not playing along. I, It was very late at night. I was out of it at that point. Um, so <laughs> it, was, it was a total mess. And then uh, once we got, to, once I got to Christian, he's like, yeah, dude, come out of your shell. Like, be you. I've seen your interview tape, like, how you got on here. Like, you need to be more exciting like you are there. Like, don't be, don't be worried about this. Be yourself. Do what you have to do. And I'm like, all right, I got this. So that, it was a huge confidence booster for me. It was a, a great performance uh, as well, uh, really entertaining. And, and as, as I mentioned, I think that was the genuine highlight of <laughs> of uh, the entire series. Um, what I wanted to, to ask you as, as well, though, was uh, I think it was then on the next episode where you, you were working in the kitchen and you, you had this text message come through from from your day job. So... Because of what you said now, that this has been recorded over a, a five-week period, I, I suppose I just wanted to, to get a bit more kind of insight in, into how that, that whole thing thing worked. Because you, you had this text message which said that, essentially, if you don't turn up to work tomorrow, then you're going to be fired. Um, so, so what was that all about then? I mean, d did nobody at work know that you were you were going on the show or had you just been going off to film and and you know just just not turning up or or how, how did that work overall yeah so so this was so like i said it was five weeks but it was over the course of about four months okay so it was broken up weeks very broken up and I, so i was doing this without telling them anything because we've been so short-staffed at 911 where i was just like they offer us this thing where we can do swaps with other employees, which is great. It's one of the best benefits of working there. So any day you want off, as long as you have somebody else who will work your shift for you, you're fine. Well, uh, I got in some trouble because I was maneuvering my way around that. Like, a, you know, this was a chance of a lifetime. And I used every possible tactic I could to get the days off. Well, they switch one of the weeks of the filming where I already have stuff set up. So I'm like, oh, this is it. Like, I'm done. Uh, I'm trying to get, I went to, I finally had to go tell our operations managers and everything. Like, hey, look, I've been filming this TV show. Um... There's an eight-hour shift that, you know, I'm not going to be here. Like, I, I don't know how you want to handle this. They're like, okay, well, if you know, if you don't show up, there's going to be consequences and uh, be ready to deal with those. So I was like, okay. And then luckily, you know, I mean, you knew the outcome, but a uh, guy allowed me to go back. So they, they really did. They flew me back. They flew me back out the same day. Uh, I didn't sleep. It was... It was bad. It was rough. <laughs> and then I came back and had to do the challenge. <laughs> oh, wow. So so that was actually over a period of, well, a, a one-day period there where, where you, you went back home, presumably, to, to do the work, and then you had to come straight back out uh, again to to carry on filming. Wow. 
I got back at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning on the day of my shift. Had to be at work by 7.30 a.m. So, I, I mean, I got a little bit of sleep, but uh, by the time I got home, got into bed, it was maybe 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, and then I flew out. My shift ended at 4 p.m., and I left at, I believe I was back on the plane by 6.15, back in Florida. Got back in Florida at midnight, and then woke up the next morning, and then it was the... Uh, it was the challenge day. <laughs> yeah, so what was doing that shift like then? Because presumably you must have been thinking that all of the other contestants then would be plotting against you because you were you know, you were given this grace period to go back home and yet they, they had to stay there slogging away in the, the kitchen and, and learning more about the, the, the chicken guy stuff. So, so what was that like? So that was tough. Um, they were upset. However, I missed out on all of that training, and that was, I mean, they, while I was gone, they were training for two, I mean, I missed two full days of training, so that really set me back, and so, I mean, they were mad, but, I mean, how mad could they be? Really, I was the one being handicapped from it, you know, so, I, I don't know. That then led you, I suppose, into the final. Now, going into the final, you were fourth out of six places, at that point, what did you think that your your chances were of actually winning? Not great. <laughs> I was at this point. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get out there. I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna have fun. So that's kind of what the mindset I went into it with. Um, I knew Kevin was obviously the top dog at this point. I mean, the, there was no there's no debating that throughout the entire show. I mean, honestly, if I was guy, I would have picked Kevin the second he walked through the door. I would have been like, hey. Yep, you win. <laughs> like, scrap the rest of it. He he wins. We got this. Um, and and I've told Kevin that. <laughs> he always laughs. Um, but yeah, uh, it was just go out there, have fun, and do the best. So that that's at that point, I was happy with that. Yeah, I I think you really did do your best there because that was the the fry or fly fest. It's the the chicken palm. You did the garlic fries, which did look amazing. And um, the tiramisu milkshake, which would do absolutely nothing for me, but apparently Guy, <laughs> Guy, Guy Fieri absolutely loved it. And he even said that that might even appear on the Chicken Guy menu as well. So I suppose if you, you're into tiramisu, it must have, must have been absolutely incredible. Um, when, when you did that food, I mean, were you, were you confident going in at that point? Did you think, well, if I, if I do this particular menu this is going to give me my, my best chance at, at winning yeah for sure my roots are always italian i mean you know italian food making sauce making anything with garlic you give it garlic to me i will make it taste good um but yeah so that's uh that's huge for me and i knew from the the second episode that you know i i'd make desserts all the time so milkshake no problem. Like I, I wasn't worried about that. Um, yeah. I, and again, like I, I went for fun. Like that was what I enjoy making and hopefully, you know, I was wishing it translated well to the challenge. So, and it, it did. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it absolutely did. Um, guy said that your food won like the top amount of votes from, from all of the, the chefs and you were like, streets ahead of, of everybody else in terms of, of the food but incredibly 
you had the lowest number of votes from the from the customers, from the punters, in terms of, of how they enjoyed your food. So I, I found that quite interesting. So so why do you think there was such a disparity then between what the judges liked and what the paying customers liked? So the it was actually the the guests, they were actually judging based on the booth. So they, they didn't like my booth as much as the other booths. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily food, it was based on the aesthetic. And my aesthetic, I will tell them, was very boring. <laughs> Minus the singing. <laughs> we, we tried to do that to kind of like, be like, oh, hey, it's boring, but hey, they're singing. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> What came next then was I think what what happens in in some of these like apprentice type shows where you have like a a heart to heart talk with you know with with the judges and um and and you you had your your time there with uh, with Guy uh, as well. It was a really short edit on the show, which I which I thought was quite disappointing because I, I didn't really think that it it showed enough. Uh, you know, of, of perhaps what what he was saying to you, but um, you know, since I've I've got you on the the show now, I was I was just wondering what type of uh, advice that he he was giving you uh, during that conversation. Yeah, so that was cut very short. I mean, I I think on the show maybe they gave each one of us a minute, if that. Um, that conversation went on for a good fifteen minutes, probably at least. So I mean, it was obviously they're not going to show the whole thing. Um, that was kind of like just a very humbling moment. Like it was kind of just, you know, we're we're in the thick of this competition and we're going to find out who wins next. And we get to sit down with this, you know, person that I've looked up to. I've followed their career, everything for decades, almost almost two decades. And it was just like, uh, it's, it's hard to explain. Like he, he was very positive the whole time like hey you know like you you really showed like you can do anything that you put your mind to and he goes i was really worried about you <laughs> which he, he had actually told me off camera before <laughs> he was like he's like yeah I, you worried me i'm like all right <laughs> that's fair and uh yeah and then we we talked a lot about uh doing things for the community and i mean that's something i i'm huge into helping out the community and being a part of stuff and that's something that he is too and you know it, something we really connected on it was it was a great conversation it's great to hear that you you did have you know that that 15 minutes there where, where you could have had a, a real you know a real heart-to-heart -heart talk there and i think what one of the the touching moments there that that was actually shown on the show there was that uh, you gave guy a first responder coin um could you tell us a, a bit about what that is because that's not something that, that I'm familiar with here in in the UK um, could you tell us a bit about what that is and, and I suppose what why uh, why you chose to give it to him that was one thing that they cut out of our conversation that I wish they had kept in there because uh, it was my explanation for why I was giving it to him so those are called a challenge coin and first responders um, the, a lot of different professions are given these coins like hey I'm accepting this challenge to serve my community to be there when when I'm needed you know and the reason I gave it to him was because during COVID all the lockdowns uh, he took it upon himself uh, with Christian Petroni and Antonio Lafaso and uh, Manit Johan and they helped all these restaurants in need 
during that time, and they helped the restaurant community. And they were helping the employees, and they started funds for employees and got, you know, huge, huge, huge businesses all over the world to donate and distributed these funds to people who were really in need at that time. So that's what, what I explained to them, and I said, you know, I helped my community, and I was given this coin. You've helped the restaurant community, and that's why I want to give this to you. So it, it had a very deep meaning that was cut from the show, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it would have it would have helped a bit, I think, if they kept that in, just, just, just to give it a, a, a bit more context. But yeah, thanks for um, explaining that. That makes uh, makes a lot more, more sense now. But um, after all was said and done, you didn't win. The first prize went to to Kevin. Um, I don't think that was a real shock. If if you you know you'd watched every episode, I think I think he was kind of p- positioned as that front runner and and as as the more likely winner. I think from from fairly early on. Um, even though I think you you know you, you put up a a great show yourself, and I think you would have been a, an equally worthy winner um, in that respect. I mean, having gone through that that entire process and having such great feedback from the judges you know your food was was streets ahead of everybody else like like we've already mentioned but then to not win i mean how how did that feel were, were you disappointed with that result not at all no um i won just being on there i think so that for me personally was a win for me and then being able to show you know i i really hoped that you know some of those people who have talked, you know, down late to me, uh, maybe saw this and were like, you know what, I shouldn't have said those things, or, you know, hey, like, I, maybe they won't say that to somebody in the future, you know, like, people really can, and anybody, anybody can do anything they put their mind to, so, um, no, it was a win, win for me all around, it, it didn't matter if I walked away with the grand prize or not. Oh, that's a great answer. Uh, so, the, the grand prize, as we mentioned, it, it was your own... Uh, chicken guy franchise I, I tried to look up online how much one of these things are worth and you're getting kind of varying uh, valuations but it could be anything up to a, a million dollars you know so so these things are uh, it's a very serious price um, but I think there, there was a, a bit of a twist um, at the end there where even though you didn't win your own franchise um, guy said that he would waive the the franchise fee for for all of the contestants if if you wanted to to get involved in in having your own um chicken guy restaurant is that something that you're going to pursue so yeah back back to price the so the grand prize was worth about 1.5 million dollars um i've looked into it uh i have after the the final episode i actually got a call from a local investor group who wanted to open a chicken guy with me. Uh, since then, talks have, it's been it's been slow. So it's still something that could happen, but uh, we'd still be looking at, I believe, about $1.2 million needed on top of the $40,000 franchising fee to get set up. So, I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to complete by any means, but, uh, you know, like I just said earlier, uh, Put your mind to it. You could do anything you want. So um, I'm not not saying no. I'm not saying yes, though. <laughs> Even if you didn't go ahead with uh, your own um, branch of Chicken Guy, then the experience that you had on the show that must have led to other opportunities for you. 
Well, actually, so let me back up a little. Once the show started airing, um, I would just be on Twitter and I live tweeted along with the show. So everybody who was watching uh, just had great conversations with everybody. So I got to meet a ton of people and made a lot of new friends, which for me, I mean, like that's, that's huge for me. That's a huge benefit from it. I, you know, and, uh, it's something that's continues. I mean, I still talk to these people who watch the show and they're like, Oh, you know, I like that you weren't fake or, you know, whatever, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, it was just, you know, it's just me. <laughs> and, uh, so the other cool thing was at the bakery, we've been doing a lot of fun stuff. So we did a, a milkshake day where I did both of my milkshakes from the show at the bakery. And we had just a huge, huge turnout. Um, over 200 people showed up to, to try the milkshakes. And most of them tried both milkshakes, which was awesome. So um, we, just, we just had a really great time with that. Uh, we've been doing cupcakes based on some of the desserts from the show. We, I, I mean, I've been doing a ton of podcasting, which I'd never done before, which has just been awesome. So that's been really exciting. Um, my local radio, they have me on all the time now. So there's been a lot of just like fun stuff that's come from it. And uh, I'm all about having fun. So I've been enjoying it. That's great to hear. Any plans to do any more TV, perhaps? So, um, my wife doesn't necessarily want me to go away again. However, uh, we have been uh, in some talks for a show at the bakery. Uh, we've been in talks with a couple major networks for that. So, that could be something in the future that, uh, yeah, can't say too much right now. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's fair enough. But I, th I think um, perhaps now it's it's the time to ca capitalize on uh, the the fame and the awareness that, that you had as as, um, as a result of being on on the show as well and, and striking while uh, while the iron's hot. So I was going to ask you what what were your plans would be for the remainder of twenty twenty two, but but I guess that perhaps uh, covers some of that. That definitely covers some of it. Um... Yeah, other stuff, um, looking at a food truck for the bakery, do a dessert truck. Uh, I don't, we've got so many, we, we, I don't like to not be busy until I'm like super busy and then I'm like, oh God, why did I do this? But no, it's, uh, I, I just have such a good time, like, and my mind kind of just runs wild with ideas to the point where my wife's usually like, uh, just one thing at a time, please, please stop doing this. Um, but yeah, it, it it just gets wild. So, I mean, I just keep going and going and going and going. It doesn't stop. Uh, so, yeah, who who knows? Uh, we could be in, on the moon by the end of 2022. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, who who knows what, what's, uh, what, what's going to happen over the next few months. But I think you're in a, a, a great position at the moment now where where things might just kind of present themselves to you. And and, and Food Network have, have got your number as well. They, they might not think they're calling you. They might think they're calling the previous owner, but that could give you a <laughs> you know a, a foot in the door to, to other opportunities right. as well. Um, if anybody wanted to find out a bit more about you or if they, they wanted to connect uh, with you on, on social media or something like that, perhaps, uh, where, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, um, probably... Instagram, Facebook. I mean, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and it's all Phil, P-H-I-L, Tommaso, T-O-M-A-S-S-O, and then the number four, because I'm the fourth. So, yep, that's uh, that's my handle for everything. 
excellent. The fourth in a a, a long line of Phil Tomasos. Phil Tomaso royalty. <laughs> so what I'll also do then is I'll get um, the, the links from you as well, and uh, I can post them in the show notes as well, just so uh, everybody's got uh, easy access to all of your all, all of your social profiles there, and uh, they they can uh, connect with you uh, that way. I appreciate you. Uh, uh, giving up some of your time today to, to come and um, do the episode with me. So so thank you so much for that. Thank, thank you so much for having me, David. Uh, I've had a great time. Uh, like I said, I love doing podcasts. So whenever you want me on, you let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if, if uh, another opportunity comes up, then uh, yeah, perhaps we could do a, a follow-up sometime in future. Awesome. I appreciate it. If you enjoy Engage, please show your support at EngagesClub.com, our exclusive members-only club with enough content, training, and behind-the-scenes access to keep you going until the next episode. That's EngagesClub.com. Also, please rate and review this podcast wherever you download them. Stay engaged.